Welcome to the, I'm sorry we missed the last week's show of the Greg's Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Go visit Bike911.com if you need some stuff. Alex Asante will take care of you. We got a lot to talk about. Jason Pridmore. We do. How are you, man? Good, brother. How are you? Yeah, good. Well, yeah. Ready for race week, dude. I know. I, I cannot leave, believe you know, it. I'm pumped. Tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. It's an easy drive for me. It's like five hours or something like that. Yeah. Me to get there. I'm leaving first thing in the morning, so I'll be there kind of early afternoon, late afternoon, whatever, and drive up. So, yeah, I'm excited about getting to Atlanta. I just feel, you know, I feel like first race of the season for us, other than, you know, obviously, Daytona, but for Superbikes, I'm just, I'm intrigued. There's a lot of little storylines, and I'm excited to see how they play out. Um, I know one race doesn't make a season, but, you know, we got to think about how rough of a season Gagne started off with last year. And, you know, I think that, you know, I, I don't think it'll be the same kind of thing this year. So it's going to put pressure on a few of the guys around to try to keep him a little bit in check early on. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I started doing the research over the weekend, last weekend, and just looking at it. And I'm like, okay. And I tweeted about it. And then Carruthers wrote a story about it, which is of the last 10 years, nine championships are represented. I mean, mm. you know, you got Bobier coming back with five. Tony Elias oh, yeah. comes back. He's got one. Heron's Heron, back in Superbike yeah. with one. Yeah. And then Gagne with the two. Wild. Now, we'll talk more about it in a second yeah. as we as we preview that stuff. The weather's looking awfully good, but... You know, it's uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk about MotoGP and what happened at Circuit of the Americas because there's so much to talk about there in all classes. I mean, Moto2 was Moto2 was such a banger, man. It, it's it was such a good race, I thought. Yeah. And I mean, did you were you paying attention to timing and scoring watching Moto2 at all? Um, I didn't watch timing and scoring, but I watched the race. Um, well, Bo, Bo Ben Schneider was sixth place with, with a lap to go. I know. Like with one lap to go. Yeah. And yeah, there was some melee that happened in front of him and yeah. stuff, but just incredible story with, with him. And you know, his grandfather had passed two days before. I didn't right? know that, Greg. No. Yeah. I didn't. I know you don't watch a lot of post race stuff, but what had happened was is that one of the Dutch commentators kind of slipped a note to the guys in the MotoGP booth and after the race and said that. Bo Ben Schneider's grandfather had passed away. Mm. He was super emotional on wow. the on the final lap, but so I thought that was a great little little thing. And you know, it's one of those things that we talk about all the time. Jay is how when you add emotion to the equation in racing, how things can totally change. Hundred percent, you know, in big does, moments. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it, it kind of you know it reminds me of the last World Superbike win that Anthony Gobert had. Mm -hmm. It was Australia on a Bomoda in the rain. God. And hit one of his grandparents had passed away, and he destroyed the field. Yeah, destroyed him. That was a pretty you know, incredible was one. Emotional deal. But anyway, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to preview uh, Moto America here at Road Atlanta. We're going to talk a little bit about World Superbike because they're in Assen this weekend as well. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about MotoGP Fantasy, Supercross, Supercross Fantasy. Yes. But we kick Big it one. all off. Yeah, it was a big one. We kick it all off with the news presented by R.I. Hey, additional benefits of the external R.I. Pro Shade system is that the shade has several positions to deal with in different lighting conditions. And then all of a sudden, let's say you get a light burst to deal with and 
just by dipping your head slightly without having to take your hands off the bars. And when, uh, what, did I write this? And oh, no, up, did you write this? Still All right. <laughs> now, so, so basically, I'm, uh, I'm going to explain it. I'm going to explain it. Okay. So, Jay, the Pro Shade system itself goes over your eyes. Okay. Right? Yep. And it flips up yep. and it flips down on the outside of the visor. In the up position, you don't get much wind noise at all. But let's just say, for instance, that you have it kind of halfway down because it clicks and you're in that twilight. You're kind of riding into sun, out of sun, into sun, out of sun. You can kind of dip your head without, you know, just slightly to get the shade, lift your head up. It's pretty bitching. It's really good. Have, have you used so, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've used it several because times. Because you're a, I used for it those that don't know, Greg's, Greg's a big clear, clear visor guy. Yes, big. And see, that's the whole thing, though. Yeah. When you talk about clear visors, I like it. If there's ever an instance where I need it, this is my perfect solution because 99% of the time I'm going to run the clear visor and then be able to flip that pro shade down because it's just like a like a ratchet. It's, yep. like, it's like imagine a, 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 a visor on top of a visor yeah. and it's about three quarter of the shield itself. Got it. It's pretty bitchy. Got it, got it, got it. Nice. All right, anyway, so that's that. Pro shade. Go visit ryeamericas.com for more information. ryeamericas.com. And don't forget, they are supporting this podcast for years including both fantasy leagues we're in. You get to win an Arai helmet as the winner of the thing. All right. So uh, let's talk about um, the championship that you are two world championships in, which is World Endurance. 24 hours of Le Mans happened over the weekend, and it was TSR Honda France on that CBR 1000RR-RR that won. Jay, it was kind of a... It's a three-lap win. So yeah. would you would you constitute that in World Endurance as a blowout after 24 hours um, or not so much a blowout? You know, three laps is three laps. It, I saw after like, yeah. I saw after six or seven hours because Steve English was over there um, commentating on that race. And after like six or seven hours, there were three teams within three seconds or eight seconds of each other or something, which was pretty good. But there's just, there's so much attrition. It was a very, very cold race. Um, wet, I heard as well. <laughs> wet and cold at Le Mans. Shocker, Come on, dude. Shocker. <laughs> uh, so I think that when you look at it, there was some big news, though. I mean, did you see FCC and CERT get tangled up at the very beginning of that race? Like, uh, like off I, the no. start. Oh, yeah. Right uh -oh. off the start. Like, they went through turn one, and FCC clipped Greg Black on the CERT bike, on the Suzuki, and that bike went flipping. So CERT, you know, they came from you know, dead last. They had a, they had more issues after that and they ended up ending up seventh. So they had to charge back through the field just to, just to kind of get some points. Um, but yeah, dude, it's so crazy how good world endurance is now. Like it's when I was there, it was okay. And then literally it seems that probably within two or three years after I got out world endurance, just like took off every manufacturer is represented. So you had FCC, Honda winning, Yart second, BMW third. Um, where did the Ducati end up finishing, Greg? Because I know they were fifth. Oh, they were ERC fifth. Yeah. Ducati ERC ended up fifth, fifth yeah. ahead of Kawasaki, the the Tati team, yeah. um, Behringer, Kawasaki, and then certain. So you had only in the top whatever seven, you had two Hondas, but everybody else was represented. But Jay, total teams. Okay, now I know when you raced, there was like mixed classes, right? Didn't you have like stock thousand and superbike and, mostly? And they still do that. They still have stock and then the EWC class. So, yeah. Right. So, yes. when you combine both those classes, 54 entries. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 huge over there. And, you know, I guess for the purists out there that like to go to any kind of racing, if you can go to the Le Mans 24 hour, it's a spectacle. It's you will see things there that you never thought you'd ever see. And I mean, it's just it's it's a really cool thing to go check out. So if you get a chance, be prepared for cold and rain and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of part of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And then out of the 54 teams, you're now, I, you know, you got about 20 really good teams over there, you know, trying to win these races. So world endurance now, like, as opposed to when I was doing it, there was probably 10 good teams. So, um, a lot more manufacturer support now as well, even though there was a lot then now you got the likes of Ducati and, and, uh, all the manufacturers involved. So it's good. I think it's really important for Ducati to be involved because they are showing people that the stigma of unreliability with Ducatis is starting mm-hmm. to be erased and they've worked Truly. really hard. I, yeah. You know, with the V4 engine, I know that one of the big things when I rode the Multistrada V4 um, that uh, Hudson Valley was loaning me for two years ago or whatever, that the big thing was like the the intervals of of service. It was way like double of what the V twin was. Mm-hmm. And they really wanted to emphasize that. And I think, you know, I had zero, 0.0 problems with that bike. I mean, the only, I had a problem with the bike, but it wasn't really a function of the bike itself. Remember that two and a half hours of straight downpour that I was in on my way to Jersey and like the ABS turned off for like a day and then dried itself out. Mm. You know, but that's that I think half of that was the fact that I just was going refused to stop. And I couldn't even see where I was going. Yeah. It was pretty bad. But anyway, you're gonna do that again this that year. Bike aren't was you? Amazing. You're gonna do all that again this year, so I can just razz you about it. You know, dude. You know what? Uh, <coughs> Honda, or sorry, Suzuki has introduced a new engine. And so, so what's interesting now is is kind of car manufacturers do this, motorcycle manufacturers do this. They kind of build everything now around an engine. So Suzuki has launched a new 800 uh, parallel twin that apparently sounds like and acts like a v-twin mm-hmm. and it's in their new v-strom 800 and the gsx 800 r like the naked bike version okay and i've been watching reviews on this v-strom dude and i, I gotta be honest it's like i kind of want to buy that bike you know kind of want to buy that bike and then do <laughs> some some rides to the races okay you know i'm not gonna do fifteen thousand miles around the country again not for a little while no i think i'm I, it, it's a balance. Do I ride or do I shoot archery? And right now mm. I'm into archery. So yeah. the year that I rode, a couple things happened. One, I wasn't really into archery. There wasn't a lot of stuff going on on that front. And the second bit was, you know how, how like crazy I am about my miles and that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. So yep, with the it. airlines, all, like yeah. the airlines, Avis, everybody like froze their, uh, their whatever rewards program. So they were like, Hey, whatever you are this year, you'll be that next year. So yeah. I was like, I'm going riding. Yep. So that, that was part of it. But yeah, anyway, got so it, got it, got it. That makes sense though. Doesn't yeah, it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. On the Moto America side of things, Titler cycles finally announced its rider lineup, right? As we, the old cliche, the worst kept secret in the paddock, but it was like, you know, I mean, they had tested two or three times and all that stuff. So they're going to field three riders in the Medallia Superbike class, Corey Alexander, PJ Jacobson, and returning five-time champs, Cameron Bobier. Mm. What do you think? I think it's great. I mean, I think, you know, obviously having Cameron on a different bike, we've discussed that before. I think it's going to be really interesting. Seems fairly upbeat in the things I've heard and listened to and, and read about. So he seems pretty happy with things. 
I think PJ deserved his shot again because I thought he rode really well last year and he rode hard. So I think he deserved that. And I think it's amazing that Corey Alexander is getting an opportunity to jump from stock thousand last year to jumping up to, to Superbike. And they just tested at uh, Talladega last week. And, you know, Corey seemed really excited and happy about things and happy to get down to Atlanta. Uh, so that I know the team's been putting in some work. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what's going on. Did you hear who Corey's crew chief is? No. You didn't. You're going to love this. Who? Carl. Um, huh? Carl. Carl Steyer? Yeah. Carl's back. My boy back. is back. Yep. Yep. Oh, dude, I'm so happy. Yep. Oh. It's going to be great. So Carl's back. He's and, one of the. Yeah. Corey's got, uh, a, Corey's got a really good group of guys around him. He's got DJ back and Tim back and, you know, all the guys that he's familiar with. And, you know, it's going to be important for him on a super bike, especially. So, you know, now he doesn't have to, you know, ride around things. There were times last year where Corey would be on the bike and, you know, we'd be in a debrief about things and he goes, oh, you know, Matthew Skultz did this. And it's like, yeah, but he's on a super bike. You know, it's amazing what <laughs> yeah, swing arms. And, thousand bike. Yeah, it's amazing what swing arms and other things can do. Adjustability of a super bike. And Corey's going to have to get used to that. I think that, you know, in, in fairness, it's probably one of my biggest downfalls, Greg, uh, when I went to Superbike was, if there were problems, I always felt like I had to be the one that had to, to fix it. I I had to be the one that like right around, right it. around it. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I, I always blamed myself. I was never, I was like, Oh no, it mm-hmm. must be something I'm doing. I, I got to fix that. You know? And sometimes it wasn't you, you, you could like not that. get away with that mentality now though, Jay, because you know, there's so much electronics. Mm. So you get so the bikes back data. and lend itself to so much. Yeah, that's true. There's so much data. These I, guys now, they look at data and they see things and they think, and they, and they basically will be, um, you know, Hey, you can try this or you can do that, or we can fix this or we can fix that. And, you know, when I was coming along, data was there, it was definitely there, but it's not as advanced as it was now, as it is now. So it's really, it really helps these young guys get up to speed, I think a lot quicker. So, uh, I'm excited about that team. I do want to caution people with their enthusiasm about it. From what I understand, the Titler cycle racing, at least Cameron Bobier, and I don't know who else. I don't know how many new bikes they have, but they have 2023 BMW M1000RRs that are different than the 2022 bikes. They just got them. They just did one test on it. Don't expect that bike to be as refined as a fresh and lean progressive Yamaha that Jake Gagne and Cameron Peterson are on. I'm not trying to give anybody excuses. No. And I know that Titlers is a good team and they're going to work really hard, but but I hope no one expects Cameron Bobier to get on this BMW, which we know in a straight line is absolutely ripper, but to be as competitive as, it, as if he just stepped off the Yamaha from three years ago. No. And so I think, think that, that's a kind of a fair, I thing think that's beyond fair what you're saying. And I think that what I said to start the podcast about these guys are going to, you know, they're gonna have to kind of keep Jake, you know, don't give up a ton of points at the beginning of the year, because I think Gagne is going to come in with a better, he's going to come in a little bit, more prepared, probably a little upbeat. It's going to give him motivation having having Bobier back. Um, and we've seen the BMW and World Superbike. It really hasn't been that great. And they'll continue to make inroads, and I think that they'll continue to make it better. Um, but I agree with you. I don't think that we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see Cameron Bobier run off and win by ten seconds on a BMW. Um, I, you know, at all. So I think that. We've got to keep realistic expectations. I think Corey is still on a 22 also. I don't think he's on the 23. 
Corey's still on a. On, that would make that would make sense. Play. There's only so many 23s available, right. so, so he's on a 22, and yeah, you know. And I think that when you start to look at the superbike field, Greg, it, you know, I was doing it the other day. You know, you've got you've got three solid Yamaha riders, don't you, with Cam Peterson, Gagne, and Skoltz. Got three solid BMW riders that you just talked about. That's six bikes. Heron, seven. You got a couple Suzuki's there with with Tony Elias and and Richie Escalante that I'm excited to see how he gets on. Um, and I, did I say Heron already? I did, didn't I? Heron. You on said the Heron already. Yeah. I think there's another rider I kind of want to throw in there that I think has. He has podium potential talent without yep. a question. Yep. It's just a matter of what bike, and that's going to be Hayden Gillum on the Disrupt Racing bike because I know that they're make they're going further with the development of their superbike. So I think it's a question of you know with without Suzuki factory support period as they wrapped up their racing you know program a couple of years ago that they're going to have to do it on their own or I don't even know if they're going to have any collaboration at all with the. Vision Wheel M4X Star Suzuki team and bringing Tony back. My my concern with Tony Elias coming back is just some of the things that we know how electronics have evolved. You know, Tony likes has liked in the past a bike that is reactionary traction control. You you twist the grip, the tire starts to spin, the electronics try to control it, as opposed to the predictive traction control of like say a Jake Gagne where you know, Stamboli has figured out when you go into this, and this is the way it's done at, you know, world superbike level at MotoGP level. And they go at this corner, at this lean angle, we're going to give you this much torque. I don't care how much grip you use. You can use hundred percent, twist the throttle hundred percent, but we're only going to give you 84% of the power that's available, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's a distinct difference. And I think that if you bring Tony back and he's going to be kind of the lead developer, you know, on that bike, they've made a jump. The, Vision Wheel and 4XR Suzuki team has made a jump in their electronics. Yep. They got a massive firmware update over the winter. They have, uh, you know, information from one of the former MotoGP techs. So that's, I'm going to keep an eye on that program. So the thing that's so interesting to me is if you look at Fresh and Lean Progressive Yamaha as the benchmark and Jake Gagne as the benchmark, the guy who's got the best shot at racing with him right now is Cameron Peterson. Mm-hmm. No question. On the Warhorse HSBK racing team, that's a brand new Ducati. So that is the most updated Ducati. It's not the bike from last year. It's a brand new bike. So there's some, you know, learning curve there for them. And obviously Heron back on the bike. And then same thing for M4, even though the bike's older, they have new electronics. Same thing for BMW. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out initially. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think a lot of the riders right now are keeping their fingers crossed saying, well, for the last two <clears throat> two years, Gagne's come out of the box and he's, He's DNF'd a couple. Well, last year at Coda was all, awful. Coda and Atlanta were awful. Remember? Didn't he have zero points at Coda? I think. He, right. I th- I I think at Coda he finished the second race. Didn't finish oh, the first, fourth. right? I think fourth, he finished fourth, yeah. and then he went to Atlanta. He didn't even start the first. Like, remember, he went into pit lane, and yeah, yeah, yep. So. Didn't start the first one. Second race, I think yeah. he finished fourth. Third, the first race in Atlanta, he fell over in turn five, and so and then I and Dude, the, can you believe and he, he only and, started winning? Yeah. Gagne only he won his first superbike race in 2021. I know it's crazy, but but and I think he's got it, 29 already. Yeah, and there'll still be there'll still be a couple other guys that you know that we should throw in there. Um, I thought Hayden Gillum was a a great pull there because I think he's amazing. But I think also Aston Yates tested this week. I saw him yeah. testing, and he's I mean, 
Ashton really impressed me last year. And, and hopefully if that team made a step, that'll be good. And you know what else, G-Dub? Dave Anthony was at Chuck Walla on the weekend on an attack R1. And I had a long yeah, chat with bought, him, he, and he was pumped. He was so pumped. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen him kind of this excited about things, and he's getting he's got a direct line of communication with Richard. So they are going to be involved in that program to an extent, I'm sure, as far as helping him get that bike along. But he was actually – he was really fast on it. It was very hot at Chuck Wall. So the track was, was you know, had a lot of temperature built in it. So it was a little bit um, greasier than it has been only because of the heat, right? So, mm-hmm. but he still went fast. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that he'll be another bike that will be, that, that will be in that, you know, that potential of that top seven, top eight guys, depending on where and how things fall into play. So, yeah. The last conversation I had with Stamboli about that stuff is because I asked him like how much involvement and he's like, look, I will provide anybody who buys an R1 from me uh, and it goes Moto America Racing. I'll provide you at the beginning of the weekend with a base map. It's so great. And then yeah. the rest of it's up to you. Right. So he's not going to give away any trade secrets. The bike's not going to be 100 percent identical. I mean, parts wise, it could be 100 percent identical, you know, unless Richard starts changing parts because, you know, the bike's purchased. But beyond that, it's it's gonna there'll be some technical support. Plus, David's been good at sourcing his own great. people, and his and, and his and his new well. his new his new uh, all of his new colors Sponsor? look really good. Like everything looked good. Yeah, I see. He's, it, the name of the team is Wrench Motorcycles. Wrench Motorcycles. So that's yeah. from Fly Racing. So he keeps he keeps it going there. And we listen. We have, you know we have twenty eight people that are right now registered to to try to qualify for the medallia superbike class that's yep. that's quite a bit that's great and it's yeah. going to be i think it's going to be a great season you know on paper right now we're still looking like jake gagne is going to be the dominant rider but i think that that's the tale of that story is going to change after the after the first couple of races moving on to super sport jay this is where things get really interesting yep. for road atlanta there are 32 people involved now josh hayes is racing for the squid hunter team Chavi Forez is an unknown property because we didn't get to see his p- full potential at Daytona. Right. He never quite quite got up to speed. But you have some pretty decent names in here, like real fast guys. Anthony Maziato stands out. Corey Ventura stands out. Stefano Mesa, I believe he's in full time on a Kawasaki on Titlers. Uh, so Mesa is is another one that you know. Gilbert is on a GSXR seven fifty. Michael Gilbert's there. Yep. Jared Nassani, who finished what? fourth or fifth in the championship last did year he, did he finish that and high he, up i didn't even know this up. yeah and okay. he started to come on you know yeah. but i think that i think the person you got to look at because i don't know what hayes's schedule is right but the person i think that you have to say me i say is the outstanding favorite for the championship right now has got to be ty scott mm-hmm. on the vision wheel and forex star suzuki on that gsxr 750 damian jagalov is going to be there teague hobbs is going to be there alejandro thermiotis i mean there's there's plenty of names in the class, mm-hmm. 32 in all. But any anything that you see that's not what I'm seeing, like don't you look at Ty Scott and kind of go, he, he's got to be the guy this year? After you saw those bikes running at Daytona, you got to kind of think that. But, I mean, look, Chevy Forez is a guy that with so much experience, and that bike's not going to be bad. That Ducati's going to be great. Chevy Forez, I mean, it's hard to look past him for me. I think that – that team knows how to win. That bike is reliable last year. Forrest is going to be coming in. I think he was, wasn't he just doing, wasn't he just at Lamar last week as well with Chaz Davis? And yeah. I think David, yeah, on David, the team. David Checa was the other guy there on that team. But I agree. I think it's going to kind of if come David down. David Checa's still racing. How come you're not still racing? I know. Trust me. He's a great guy too. 
Um, but Ty Scott, Chavi Forez, it's really going to be, you know, now we've, <clears throat> we've got a few more of those GSXR 750s. I, you know, with Chris Ulrich talking with him about it, it seems like they've got a much better handle on that bike now. So I think that's why we've seen quite a few uh, more of them. It, Hayes, I mean, look, if he comes out and did really well in Atlanta, as we'd expect, um, it's hard to just like imagine Hayes leaving. I, what's he going to do? He's going to do Atlanta and Barber right off the bat. He's going to do those two. I mean, if he's right in the hunt for the championship, I don't see that just kind of going away. Do you? I mean, I don't know. It, it depends on his team. I mean, yeah. it's the Squid Hunter program. They're based in Florida. You know, they. I don't think they have the the desire and the resources are there from what I understand, but I'm not really sure that they really have it. You know, they're a customer based group, I believe. So like do track day bikes and stuff. Personnel. I think personnel, getting personnel to the races and all that stuff is a big thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is, it's, it literally is. Um, I mean, it's all up in the air. I mean, for that class, it's it's, all up in the air, but it's going to be fun because you, you're, you know, we got a kind of a, we're going to have a new champion of that class, which, we don't know who it's going to be, but we're going to have a new champion no matter what. There's nobody in that class, right, that's ever won a Super Sport Championship. I don't think not Hayes, the, Hayes never won. Out. Josh never won a Super Sport Championship, right? No, he won Superbike and Formula Extreme. Yeah. So, right, I mean, two Formula Extreme. There's going to be a new champion seven. in that. There's going to be a new champion in Junior Cup. I mean, when you start looking at the. Wait, what did Hayes win? Hayes won 750 Super Sport, right? He won 750 he, Super Sport. He won Extreme. He, Two extreme and four super bikes. Did he win two extreme? I can't remember. I have to ask him. Sorry, Josh. Yeah. Sorry, he's so. Hey, when, hey, when you're that decorated so of a writer, we can't remember everything. So. Yeah. Ie. Old. <laughs> uh, by the way, that'll be my Danilo excuse Lewis, for him. Lewis is both in super bike and in super sport. So, you know, again yeah. on the MV, I don't know if they're planning on racing it. I know he's on the registration. Yeah. But that'll be. That'll be a big weekend for him if he's got to do that. Uh, in Junior Cup, Jay, which we saw kind of reduced entries last year, uh, there's 23 in Junior Cup this That's year. That's more than last year. Yeah, when, when we yeah, started significantly off. Significantly more so, than last yeah. year. Yeah. And you have all Ninja 400s, with the exception of Aiden Sneed, who's on a Yamaha R3, and uh, Rossi Moore. And we talked about that last week, who's on that KTM RC390. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, there's a couple names in here. Obviously, uh, Max Van is returning. Hayden Bickney's. Yep. Um, I'm trying to, Avery Dreyer. Avery Dreyer, yeah, another one. There's a few that yeah, are coming a, back for sure. Yeah, but we're going to see a lot of new faces. So that'll be busy for us. You know, you and I are doing the same type of commentary. This weekend's going to be busy for us. We have eight races to commentate this weekend. Over four classes because Baggers is in the mix. Oh, we got Baggers this week too, don't we? Yeah, and uh, the way Moto America, you know, worked reworked the schedule is you're going to see Junior Cup not at every event like you had before because uh, teams were basically saying like to Moto America, hey, if we're going to bring our transporter wherever we're going to bring it to have a single race, like if you were in say uh, Twins Cup or you know to have a single race is a big expense. Mm-hmm. So Moto America pivoted and they tried to figure out how to make sure that if a class is there that it will be a double hitter so this weekend's like super slam for us but uh and wicked complicated and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on but in the stock thousand class 40 entries jp 40 of them dude i love it i was just looking at it right now because 
you know, I, I mentioned last week that I knew who was going to take the Altus ride for this round. And, uh, you know, it, it's great because Anthony Norton, uh, Anthony Norton, he's just a, he's just such a quality individual. He's such a good guy. been seeing him at Chuck Walla. He's been racing, you know, he's been racing with Dave Anthony and Corey and, and Bryce Pence. He's been, he's this guy, G-Dub like just does all of his own stuff and he's there by himself under canopy. Usually, you know, working on the bike. He had a lot of issues this year. He's been riding a cow. He, he had a lot of issues, got something sorted this last weekend. He did really well, but it's fun for me to see guys that, um, that put so much into it, get an opportunity. So I think it's cool that, that this opportunity has come for him. And, um, he's going to have Mike pond and fuzzy helping him out there, obviously, uh, under, under the canopy. And, it, you know, he's just got to go there and enjoy himself and have fun and do the best he can. And I think that, for him, it's going to be great. But when you start looking at championship contenders, you, you got to look at right off the bat. You talked about him earlier, Hayden Gillum. He's going to be a busy guy this this year. You know, racing Superbike, racing Stock Thousand, racing a bagger. He's going to be a busy guy. So Hayden Gillum, though, you got to think is kind of the favorite right off the bat in the championship. And then you got Travis Wyman who's coming back. Ezra Bobier is coming back. Uh, Nolan Lampkin again. Love to see him back on his BMW. I think he'll put in some some better rides this year. Um, Taylor Knapp, love seeing Taylor. Uh, I know he does kind of these rounds out in that area, doesn't he? Uh, Atlanta, Barber. Caleb Caleb DeCrail's, uh jumping up um, from Twins Cup to Stock Thousand. So he's- I love that. I do too. I do too. And and Caleb obviously rides really, really well. And I saw him a little bit during the offseason, and he really impressed me as well at Chuckwalla. Um, John Knowles, he's jumping from Twins Cup. He's up on 1,000 now. Um, I'm just kind of looking at the the people that we have here. Um, but those are the ones that I would say, you know, mentioning th- those are the guys that you're going to kind of see at the front. And, you know, we got, like you said, Greg, 41 bikes in this class, a lot of bikes, a lot of bikes, a lot of bikes. Twins cup is also loaded up Jay 37 riders in there. I saw on social media today, I think posted yesterday, uh-huh. no Kayla Yakov, uh, yeah. her legs still broken. So mm-hmm. she's not going to be there. Uh, from what I understand, it's going to be Mesa that'll step in again on that MP13 bike. So obviously he comes off a win at Daytona, mm-hmm. but you have, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of stalwarts in this class now. Blake Davis is still in the mix. Jody Berry's still around. Jackson Blackman is, you know, returns. Uh, Cody Wyman is, is I think he's full time, right? Cody's full time. Now, yeah. is he, it's Wrench Motorcycles. He's is with that, Dave. Is Cody? He is Dave. Okay, so he's, yep. he is under Dave's canopy. He's that's under great. Dave's okay, canopy. So that's so, and I've seen him a lot at Chuck Walla this this off season too. So he's been riding a bunch, which is great. Um, so it's still going to be an amazing class uh, Twins Cup, and I think it's going to get a lot more coverage. Eighteen King of the Baggers registered right now. It's pretty much <clears throat> what you've seen at Daytona with a couple extras. You're still going to have, you know, Tyler O'Hara is still here. Corey West is going to be there. Kyle Wyman, Rispoli. Bobby Fong, Eslick. I mean, it's just a it's a loaded field of talented people. McWilliams, Hawk Mazada, Patricia Fernandez. Yeah. That'll be an exciting one think, for sure. I think it's all gonna be good. I I you know, again, all these classes, it's gonna be a full schedule in Atlanta. And, you know, by all accounts, it looks like the weather's gonna be nice. And yeah, man, I'm excited to get down there. It's gonna be so much fun and um and uh we'll get the season kicked off and we'll have a big show about it obviously next week when we get back into what, um, you know, back into the swing of things after this weekend, but it's going to be busy. It's going to be fun. See who else shows up down there. Greg on the weekend we had, um, 
Oh, I, I know we still got a couple other things to talk about with World Super World Superbike. Yeah, let me let me speaking. actually yeah, since sorry. we're talking about I just since saw we're talking about news. Moto America. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's go ahead and and I just want to let everybody know that uh, we're recording this Wednesday. You know, the before the Road Atlanta race, April nineteenth, and Moto America just released the. I, I want to call it a TV schedule because I'm old school, but it's basically a video schedule. So obviously on Friday, beginning at Supersport qualifying at 1.30 local, Live Plus will begin their coverage. But I think the biggest thing to note is that Medallia Superbike, Baggers, Twins Cup, this year they're going to be available live on YouTube okay. simultaneously with live on. So Superbike transitions to same-day coverage. Almost all of them were going to be live. So Medallia Superbike will be live on MAV TV. They will be on Fox Sports, but it's delayed. So if you only have Fox Sports and you want to see it. so. But here's the thing. If you're if you're listening to a podcast, I have, uh, I'm willing to bet that 1,000% of you also have access to YouTube. So the fact that these races are going to be available on YouTube is a huge step yep. for Moto America. It was something that they've been working on for the past five months. And believe me when I tell you that there are so many clearance issues with networks and who's going to get to see this first. And Moto America is invested in, in a network called Motorsports One, which is available on some people's TV through Roku and things like that. So it is out there. Um, I'm not sure how much stuff is going to be on Facebook anymore. That you'll probably have to look for. But if you have access to YouTube, Stock 1000 Race Number 1 will be available on YouTube. Medallia Superbike Race 1, King of the Baggers, uh, Revit Twins Cup Race 2 will be available. Like it's, there, there's just so much stuff. It's, I saw, I saw your incredible. post on that. And um, yeah, it's great. It, I mean, look, Moto America has done everything they can to get this out to people. Uh, however, whatever their platforms are, haven't they? So they've done a lot, Greg, to try to get that where that needs to be. And I think it's great. And you know, it's going to make it easier for me because I know my mom's going to be wanting to watch it. And and now she's got a couple of different ways that she can do it, along with Moto America Live Plus, which I think is amazing. So there are a lot of different ways that people are going to be able to check out Moto America. And I really do think that this is another great building year for us um, in the sense that there's, you know, you, we just talked about it. Look at all the entries we have this year. So that paddock, you remember last year, Greg, was it last? I think it was last year. Remember how full it was? Like it was packed yeah. and it's going to be the same this year. I don't know where they're going to put everybody because there just literally is that many people uh, amongst all of our classes. So wouldn't surprise me if they have to move some people up to the top yeah, of the hill. Agree. And they have to ride into the paddock or, yep. or even that motorhome level. I, I don't right. know. Yes. I know that there's a plan made or whatever, but look, the, the thing is folks is that, Jason and I, we're, we're old men. Okay. Mm. <laughs> and we grew up with television, but we're also modern men. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, we don't have kids and stuff. So we keep up on the latest trends of digital. <laughs> well, Jason's a moron, but I am. A we moron. all know what YouTube There's is. There's no doubt about that. YouTube is like the second largest search engine in the world. And so with their algorithm, with the, you know, with Moto America doing well, like your view makes a difference because the more views that that those videos get, if anybody ever searches or watches a, a motorcycle video, chances are the algorithm is going to introduce them to Moto America. And I think that that's part of the discussion that Moto America had about transitioning to a platform like YouTube, you know, making sure that it's on YouTube and giving it out for free uh, so people can watch it. The only thing I don't know, and I did, I was going to text Chuck Axon about it this morning and I didn't was to find out if it's geo-blocked or not. Mm -hmm. So, Jay, what that means is, is that literally 
um, let's just say for some reason there was a broadcaster that takes the Moto America feed in, I don't know, Czechoslovakia or yep. whatever, they could request to Moto America that it's geo-blocked and they're not allowed to show it on YouTube in that particular region or particular country. So I will, t- I'll get that answer and tweet about it if there are any restrictions, because as far as I know, it's going to be available worldwide. Right. And we do have a worldwide audience with this podcast. So that's, that's that. So anyway, it'll be available. It's going to be good. I'm very excited for Moto America to continue to move into, you know, off of broadcast television slightly. And, you know, it's still on Fox sports. The good news is with the delay, Jason, is that, it's on almost all of the Superbike delayed shows will be on FS1, where last year we were on FS2 exclusively, and the ratings took a hit from being on FS2. So even though it's tape delayed, to get on FS1, because FS1 is available in so many more homes, and it's more you know on the, on the save channels to a lot of people, like a tier one network, that I, I, I think overall it's a better package, TV package this year, than it even was last season, so... Anyway, that's just my view of it. Yep. And Jay, World Superbikes this weekend. So what what do you know? What do you know? What do you know about wow. World Wow, it's great we to have can you, I can't believe Baz is coming back. I love that. Saw Loris. Dude, that was pretty yeah. amazing. Said he's got limited movement in his ankle or his, you know, in his knee, so which would be expected. But he's done the protocols it takes to get him back on a motorcycle. So he's going to be coming back. Um, look, it's the first two rounds were interesting. Um, some would say the championships, you know, none of these guys want to think the Done. championship's over, but look, when top racks talking about leaving and, um, yeah, the Ducati right now is good. You got to think though, don't you G dub? And I know you got a little piece on this that I'm talking about, but with top rack, even being interested in going to, to Moto GP, had a couple guys say to me that like, he's probably just probably sees the writing on the wall. Nobody's going to beat the Ducati right now. So unless Yamaha or, or and, and Yamaha is an amazing bike, but it's just not as competitive as it needs to be. It will be this weekend, probably at Assen. Um, there might be a couple tracks where it, it could be a good bike. Cowie's the same. But with Toprak going and testing the M1 MotoGP bike last week um, before Texas, maybe he's looking to make a move. But my, my thing to that was, well, he's not going to find it any easier there on a Yamaha than he does in World Superbike right now either. So, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see how that all plays itself out. But Batista's leading the championship coming in. There's some guys looking for some momentum. Honda's been testing and doing, you know, they've been they've they've had a pretty good start to their season. Um they've had some good rides anyways. We saw Vieja put it on the podium at, at uh, Indonesia. So you know now we're now we're getting to the European tracks though. I think this will be a, a you know these guys are going to be going to tracks that they know um Indonesia just didn't look like any fun, um, but yeah, we'll see how we'll see how World Superbike goes. Johnny Ray is looking forward. To, I mean, looking to get back on track, I think, uh, and try to be competitive again and try to race for some wins. Yeah, I think it's a tough hill to climb. I, I do think too. These next couple race weekends are going to really put a stamp on the championship. You know, race. You know, let's not have the banquet yet. No, we've no, seen, no, no. Hey, hey know, we've, stuff yeah. happens, doesn't it, Greg? Stuff happens. It's racing, but it's kind of looking pretty one-sided right now. Yeah. Um, When it comes to the top rack and the MotoGP thing, Steve English wrote a nice little article, put some quotes together and, and, and talked about it. You know, I'm going to read you a little bit about what uh, Steve English's article. It's available on worldsbk.com. It's, it's the top news item. If you're 
you know, watching today. But basically, the quote from Lynn Jarvis basically says, talks about the test. All right. So it goes like this. Riding an R1 on Pirelli tires and riding a MotoGP M1 on Michelin tires is very different. Uh, you need more time to adapt. If I were to sum it up, it's probably it was not easy for him, meaning top rack, to really get the feeling for the bike. Now, he did have, what, two days, Jay? Two mm-hmm. full days on the bike? It wasn't like he did 10 laps. Yeah. If you watch top rack riding a super bike, he is able to do miracles. He has an incredible good feeling on the front end in particular. We've seen that from his stoppies and incredible corner entry and braking. That was not so easy to find on the M1. The bike is much more rigid than a superbike. So really, I think to gain speed on a MotoGP bike, he would need to adapt his style quite significantly. Now, the reason why that quote is so important is because I think basically Lynn Jarvis is saying pass for a couple of reasons. We all know that right around the corner, are some incredible racers. Tony Arbolino has come as, you know, already people, and he's got the same manager, um, that Carlos Panat guy or whatever his name is, yep, yep, yep. you know, who's, who's, who's tied in. Obviously Pedro Acosta is going to go somewhere next year and all that stuff. And I think it's too competitive inside of MotoGP mm-hmm. to make a space available for a world superbike rider. And I also think that the Pirelli tires are so such a departure from anything else that it's very difficult for someone to jump on a bike in MotoGP or, you know, to jump on a MotoGP bike with the stiffness of the chassis, stiffness of the tire. So the other thing is, is that these managers all talk to each other, Mm -hmm. you know? So Lynn Jarvis's summation of top rack could also damage his, his ability. If someone else thought, Hey, let's get top rack. He's unbelievably talented, but are you willing to right now take a season and let him try to, you know, find his way. I mean, how many years did it take him to become the top rack we know now? He was in yeah. World Superbike for what, at least three seasons? Three seasons probably, yeah. But it's hard to compare those two now because he's such a better rider than he was, obviously, when he started in World Superbike. So it's like when you're cutting your teeth, you know, um, he was on the Kawasaki's, if you remember. And then the bust up there came from when he wasn't put on the bike at the eight hour with Johnny and and uh, I, can't remember, I can't remember. I don't think it was Alex then. It was... I think it was Haslam maybe or somebody that was with teammates. Haslam. I can't remember for sure. But the thing was is that now he's, you know, he's much he's gonna come into it. Any team he comes into now, he's gonna come in there as a guy that's super well respected and they know the talent that he has. But I you know, Greg, I, I don't really have much about this. I, I don't really know how to feel about any of it. I if it was if it was a bike that I felt would could be that you could win on right now. Um, I think it would be a lot more interesting story, but the M1 just isn't a bike right now that I don't think too many people are rushing to get there unless there's a huge bump in pay. Um, and again, I don't know these facts. I just don't know. But unless there's a big bump in pay, and I don't know if Steve wrote anything about that because I hadn't read the article yet, but unless there's a big bump in pay, I don't know why Top Rack would really go anywhere. He's got a home in World Superbike. You would hope that in the next couple of years, the Yamaha will get even better, you know, whether they make a new bike or not. I just don't know any, there's so many details that you don't know, but right now that M1 doesn't look like that great of a place to go. I know Quadraro just finished third this last weekend, but there was some attrition there. And I don't know, I, where's the Yamaha M1 in rankings as far as all the MotoGP bikes right now, it, it might be fifth, you know, out of you know, this last weekend, it probably arguably was with a Honda winning, KTMs were proven to be able to run up front. Quadraro used a lot of racecraft to, to end up on the podium. Uh, how much of that is him and how much of it is the bike? You know, it's just, 
would Toprak have done any better? I don't, I don't really know if he would have. So yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a, that's a really, really hard decision in what direction Toprak goes. It's going to be interesting. In the article too, Lynn Jarvis says that Morbidelli is still their number one choice for 2024. Mm -hmm. And honestly, with the resurgence of Morbidelli, I don't, I don't see why not. You only think that Morbidelli is going to get a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker. And if they have riders where, you know, on the on the M1, if they, if they can podium and do things like that, I, I don't really think they're in the hunt for the championship. But if you have one rider who's a little bit off the pace, you need that second rider to be on the pace. Because at some point, it's really about the exposure of it all. It's what racing is about, you know. You know, when you say, resur know. When you say resurgence... I don't really look at it as a resurgence. I look at it like, you know, it, is is Honda winning a resurgence at, at at Coda? I don't I don't think so. I think that was a special. No, race. no, 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 and no. It, I think it's and, yeah, and, and, it's and, a special and race I think track. That it's the way Renz rides. The it's bike. one it's track. Special. You know, if Renz all of a sudden comes out at Jerez and is in the top five and practices and qualifyings and is proving to be up front again, maybe they found something. I don't know. But when you look at Morbidelli, you know, he was kind of back where he was, where he has been. I mean, I think, you know, we'll get to the results in a minute, but more, look, Lynn Jarvis right now, three races in would be a fool to say anything other than Morbidelli is still our guy because yeah, come on, it's three races, races in, you want your rider, yeah. you want your rider losing motivation quickly or, or creating any kind of turmoil within the, within your pit box. Yeah. You go, oh yeah, we're looking at top rack full time next year. You know, Morbidelli be sitting there with his hands up, like I'm right here. Like, what's going on? I'm well, three... Steve's article said that they're 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 courting Jorge Martin. Yeah, no, and that's what I'd heard also. I mean, that's 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 the other big thing going around. But I mean, look, Jorge Martin right now, other than proving to be super fast, is also proving to be a major crasher all the time. So, I again, why would Jorge Martin? Why would Jorge Martin jump off a Pramac Ducati that's capable of winning? And jump onto an M1, other than money, um, other than money, and maybe promises that Yamaha is making to make the bike better. But I would probably, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know if you Top Rack is going to come in there and he's got a lot of learning to do. Or Hey Martin understands MotoGP and what it goes on. I just look. I don't even really can't really formulate even an opinion on it all. Um, Martin to me, Martin to me is is has extreme potential. He's already won a race, extreme potential, uh, was not happy that they chose Bastianini over him. But that said, there's other Ducati riders right now that are doing better than he is. So, Yeah, but but here's the thing. And, you know, we lose a lot not being traveling with this series mm -hmm. week in and week out, right? So, like, when I look at it and I say, okay, Jorge, Jorge Martin loses the front a lot. Miller goes from Ducati to KTM. And all he's done is rave about the front end feel, which also tells me that Ducati didn't quite have the front end feel that Miller wanted. Mm -hmm. And if Jorge Martins losing the front end, and we know that Quateraro has got incredible front end feel on that M1, uh, you know, I'm almost thinking, well, okay, if I got skipped over, right, like he did, would I rather be a satellite Ducati rider or would I rather be a factory Yamaha rider? I, and that I has agree. got to come with more money. And does front end feel make a difference to me? Maybe that's Jorge Martin's riding style that he just can't figure out how to get around. I mean, this is Bobier's big deal. He's a front end rider. He has to have front end feel to go as fast as he does. And he never got to grips with it on the Moto2 bike. There were moments when he he could, but the Moto2 bike's not a front end 
fast motorcycle. Well, so, look, Greg, every rider at the top level is a front end field guy. There's not going to be a guy, especially in today's technology, as deep as you can break and the things that you can do on these bikes. Everybody is looking for that front end feel. I get all that. I, I and I agree with all. Um, Rins had the opportunity to go to Pramac or RNF, but he chose money to go to that LCR team. And, you know, the reason why he went there was because he could make more money. There wasn't a lot of money in the paddock to go run the other bikes. If you were to sit there and go, which bike could you win on right now when, when Rins was making the decision, you got to think that he would have thought the Ducati or maybe even that Aprilia was probably more likely to win than the Honda. But he's got great work ethic and, and they, you know, he went to a track that he's done extremely well at. I mean, Greg, he won Moto3 there, he won Moto2 there, and now he's got two MotoGP races there. So, I mean, look, it, it's a horses for courses type of thing. Coda's a little bit of a special place. I'm interested to see where the Honda goes moving forward from here to see, because there were no other Hondas even around him. No, if anybody thinks Honda's back, no, you're sadly mistaken. That's right. And it's the same thing right now with the Morbidelli argument for me. For me, he had an incredible, he had one incredible weekend. I mean, how many times has Morbidelli been quicker than Quattararo in a weekend, right? And in Argentina, yeah. he just was. And I, but Not, unfortunately, he was, we was until his accident, you know, um, and then he hasn't been the same. Yeah. Since. But he, on the factory bike, you know, you got, it's, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. On the he factory the bike, he hasn't bike. really been close. So, no. Anyhow, the thing is, is that we got to wait another couple races to see. It'd be like, like literally if, Johnny comes and wins at Aston or something. Kawasaki's back. Uh, not so much. Yeah, it's just one race. Yeah. It's one. It's one track, right? So, those are the things that you got to kind of, kind of look at. So when we go to MotoGP, Dub, Coda this last weekend, I watched it all. It was really fun. I was at Chuck Wall all weekend, but watched every last bit of everything. Uh, Rins wins over Luca Marini, um, who rode amazing. It looked like he was going to make a push there to catch Rins. He kept it at two seconds for a long time. Quadraro ended up third. Remarkable result for him. Maverick Vinales, again, if he can get that thing off the line, he is going to be a weapon. But there's always that if word around Maverick Vinales. But he ends up fourth over Miguel Oliveira, who ends up fifth. Back from his accident with Marquez at Portugal. But Zeki ends up sixth. Then you had Zarco and Morbidelli. Uh, but Zeki and Zarco came across the line together. Morbidelli was eight seconds behind them. He was 20 seconds back. Digi Antonio ends up finishing ninth. Augusto Fernandez. Piro gets points for the Ducati team. Folger gets points for his gas gas team. And Brad Binder picked his bike up out of the gravel. Greg, there was 13 finishers. 13 finishers. They, they couldn't even pay out a, a full championship points total. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we'll get into some of this in a minute. But, I mean, you look at all the guys that didn't finish. Brado crashed. Nakagami crashed. Juan Mir crashed. So those, all three of the Honda riders fell out. Bagnaya, obviously, we saw him fall. Uh, Fernandez had that same problem with his bike that Aleish had. I think the the rear ride height device or whatever, I think, broke on Fernandez's bike, and it actually cost Aleish to fall. Jack Miller, Greg, six times. Six times Jack Miller fell on the weekend. Six. I don't know if I've ever heard that big of a number before, but he did. And then... Um, Guy, I mean, Marquez, Aspargo, and Jorge Martin didn't even finish the first lap. Um, I think getting right to it to start with, I want to ask about what you thought of the race. But why do you think we had so much attrition? Well, from everything I've heard, and I, I think I told you this before, I'm I get like a, I'm on a WhatsApp thread with the Michelin um, 
that that basically the the guy who's head of Michelin for MotoGP sends out a voice message after every day and talks about it. And then sometimes they'll give comments from riders. So I, I kind of have a keen ear for it. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, the, you know, the wind really picked up. It dro- dropped the track temperature a few degrees C. And there was a window that kind of opened up a little bit more for the range of tire pressures. I think what happened, well, there's a couple things. Number one, I think Coda's ass, honestly. <laughs> okay, it's bumpy. And that's what I was waiting for. The surface doesn't look all that great, but they'd been dealing with it all week. I think the wind had a, had a little bit to do with it because people complained about it. Moto three race, Moto two race. But I also think that there was a window that made that hard because everybody ran the same compound, right? I think that that hard front tire, I think that it just caught a lot of people out. I don't think they got the feel that they, the Miller situation is, you know, I'm not talking about Jack Miller. No, 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 no. Because six crashes are that's some there, there's something else like almost like Jack thinks oh my gosh I have the greatest front feel in this KTM that I've had on a bike but he doesn't really and it keeps throwing him on the ground because I don't think every I think every crash he had was a low side I think I don't know. Crash, six I, times but I'm not sure that's I, yeah I lost I lost count but anyway I think that that's some of it I think it's a combination of all things you know and and what the the thing that makes me look at it and go okay both Repsol bikes crashed and Nakagami crashed right. Or Nakagami didn't crash. Wait. No, Nakagami crashed turn one. Yeah. So four Hondas, three crashes. All of them were front-end stuff. Mm -hmm. From the comments that I've heard from Simon Crafar, basically Honda's looking at the way Rins rides a motorcycle, and they're going, how can we get our other guys to ride this bike? Because Rins apparently rides it like a freaking Moto3 bike, carrying tremendous amounts of corner speed, to make up for the fact that there's a lack of rear grip on the Honda, which is their fundamental issue. And so he's not having to squirt out of the corner like a Ducati does because he's already a couple K faster and rolling on the throttle earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why is literally the way he rides a bike has, has the Honda engineers kind of scratching their head a little bit. And you know, his data engineer at Castro, Mm -hmm. Um, Yuki Kikuchi, mm-hmm. you know, Yuji Kikuchi. I mean, sorry, Yuji. So I haven't had any talks with him. He would never give me secret information, but, um, I, I definitely want to reach out to him and ask him a couple of questions that he, I know could answer, yeah. you know, like some yeah. real generic type stuff. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, Honda's problems continue. I think it's great that they have snapped an 18 month win streak, blah, blah, blah. But Jay, the reason they snapped an 18 month win streak is because Bagnaya he 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 crashed himself out of the race again. Now he's post race. Bagnaya said out of the lead that that it hundred percent wasn't his fault. But in that particular corner on that particular lap, he had the biggest gap on Rins that I had seen all race long, and mm-hmm. then miraculously crashed it. And when post race asked Rins, "Why do you think Bagnaya went down?" Rins was like, "I don't I don't know." Yeah. He goes, "Maybe he goes maybe he was a little wider." Yeah. Or tighter, sorry, he said tighter. Maybe he was a little bit tighter, you know, than normal. But I don't, I don't really know. Like it was kind of weird, you know. So it is a mystery. It, the thing is, is that Bagnaya. I mean, I don't like using this word, but some would say he was lucky to win the championship last year, coming back from a ninety-one point deficit. And I think that if Digi Antonio was on other, any other bike than the one, uh, Digi Antonio, sorry, if Quattararo was on <laughs> any other bike than he was on, I don't think that would have been the case. I, you know. I know Quadraro made his mistakes too, but Quadraro is not known as a guy that 
makes big errors like that. And Cuadraro now is being given a little bit of room to make those mistakes because of how hard he has to ride the bike. Now, Bagdaya, though, has a history of just stupid crashes and things that he's done. And when you watch the video back, and it's pretty wild because he is still pretty hard on the gas as he tips that bike in. If you listen to the, if you listen to the audio side of that, um, it doesn't sound like he's hardly even let the throttle off. And as far as the throttle modulation goes down that hill, sounds like they they go back to first gear for turn one, and then they upshift twice, a couple like a quick shift to third gear, going down through there and. The bike rolls, and if he's a little bit tight um, going down in there, maybe it, it, the turning radius at the beginning of that corner was a little bit too tight for the amount of speed he was carrying, obviously. But you could, you know, you can tell when a rider knows that he's made a mistake, and it, these guys are crashing without feeling like they're doing anything specifically wrong. Um, so, like even Rins, Rins isn't going to say why Bagnaya crashed, even if he knew. He's probably just going to give Bagnaya the benefit of the doubt and go, man, I just don't know why he fell. It was really strange or really odd. You know, looking at the data and stuff, those guys are going to be able to try to pull up and see what was different. Was he tighter? Did he have more lean angle earlier? Did he? Was he on the gas? Did he chop the throttle? He definitely didn't chop the throttle just from the sound of the audio on the bike. So, I, look, it's a, it's a hard one. Bagnaya has put himself a little bit on the back foot, but, man, there's so many races to go. I mean... Exactly, but so but, but also races. Bagnaya has taken responsibility when he has crashed, and so that's why when yeah. I read his comments that it 100 wasn't yeah, his fault, I saw that that I actually believe him because I'm um, you know and, and dude, there's so many things that can go wrong. Correct, so many things. There are so many things that can go wrong. You're you're exactly right, especially I mean, with electronics. But I mean, you know, it could have been I don't know, you know, brake pad, uh, bad. Like, you know, if he if he chooses the wrong line and he's in a little bit too tight, okay, if he's I mean, listen, I've seen data, Jason, where I've seen people get 0.1 degree more lean angle than they've gotten before and they've crashed. It's all know? it takes. Those guys are on such a fine line, aren't they? An, an edge. So, you know, but for mm -hmm. Bagnaya, it, it's, look, I don't really think it's that big of a, a deal. Um, he's going to he's gonna be fine as far as championship and things go. I mean, there's a lot of season to go. Tons and tons and tons of season tons to of season. go. So. And to answer your question, I thought the race, the MotoGP race itself was ass. I mean, it was boring. It's just shit. And the track sucks, dude. Yeah. I I hate yeah. the fact that that's the best we have in America. And we've had this discussion. We could do it till we're blue in the face. But it's like. No. But it's, the thing is, the we're going is, back. We go there, yeah, we Jay. We get to go there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we yeah. get to go there, so I don't want to kill it, but it's it's what I what I hate for the track itself is how much resources they've been put they've put into it to try to make it smooth, and it's just unfortunate that the land they built it on just is it just moves. Right. You know, yeah. Really I'm not. I, I don't. And I again, I'm not. <laughs> not making like some big personal attack. It's just it's a the place is uninteresting. On TV, it looks incredible, doesn't it? On TV, it really does look incredible. I like the way they do all the paint, the way they do things, and. But I mean, the track is so bumpy. The facility is amazing. Right? That's what I, I mean. mean yeah, the they did such an great. amazing job with all of that. The facility is is awesome, but the track layout to me is nothing special. It's not that great. Um, mm -mm. Renz and Marquez would probably disagree with me, but <laughs> but but the track layout isn't that great. Um, the the bumpiness of it on those bikes just seems to get magnified so much more. That's even the, the, thing. Even we, the it, Moto2 it, it, bikes look miserable to ride, ride there. Right, but that's the thing. When Moto America goes there, there if, 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 if it stays exactly the way it is today, which it won't because obviously they're going to have months and months of stuff on there, but if it stays exactly the way, 
our riders wouldn't wouldn't have as much to say about the bumps because our our bikes are based on street bikes 100%. and they are a lot more compliant over the bumps. And it's still bad. Don't get me wrong. I've ridden it. I rode it when it was fairly new too. I, I mean, it's been seven years since I was there uh, riding it, and like everything about that the the area, like the track, and I, I don't I like it. I got no. I mean, it's a cool place. It is a really cool place. You got I mean, a cool you, coffee spot, do you, Jay? If you, you had, yeah, no. If you had, GW, you imagine if you had those those facilities and a track like Road America, you'd be laughing. Everybody could just, I mean, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, hundred uh, percent, uh, it'd be amazing. So look, but Zeki's leading the championship, sixty four. Pagnaia is only he's fifty three. He's, he's eleven points back. It's it fine. Is, it is totally absolutely fine. nothing. He's going back. They're going back to Europe too. They're going to be racing tracks now where Pagnaia is going to feel extremely comfortable, confident. As he does, anyways. It, you know, uh, Rins is third in the championship. Greg with forty-seven, which is incredible. Maverick Vinales is fourth. Zarco fifth. A couple guys, Greg, that I think that we gotta, you know, you gotta think about. Like, man, Alicia Spargo so far in two thousand twenty-three is nowhere. Like, literally, he's just struggled. And this time last year, he just won at Argentina, and I think he was second in the points, or maybe even leading the points after three or four rounds last year. He's thirteenth now. Um, but with the length of the season, you look at somebody like, you know, Marquez is Alex, uh, Mark Marquez way back, obviously. Um, Bastianini's not even on the board. So is it too late for either one of those two guys to make a big comeback? Could Bastianini have given up 64 points at the beginning of the year? Could he still come back and win the championship? Absolutely. We saw a 91 point deficit get a race last year with what, five rounds to go, six rounds to go. And, Anything is possible now with these sprint races too. I mean, the sprint race on um, the sprint race uh, at Coda was was even an interesting one, as we saw Bagnaya take off, and he was pushed again all the way to the finish line, wasn't he? From um, with with Rins just pushing him the whole time. I, the sprint race to me was less chaotic than the first two. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. You can see that they're kind of settling into the idea <laughs> yes. of it and they're figuring it out. It's almost like it is literally almost like there's almost more like, to lose than there is to gain at this point it's half, for sprint races. Half points. I mean, Martin ends up third in that. Aleish was good in that race. He ended up fourth. And Bender, again, does an amazing job. He, he actually got, he got through Q into Q2 this week, which I thought was going to bode really well for Bender. He ended up fifth in the sprint race. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he'll be right there again, but he had some problems in the in the in the Grand Prix itself. But Zeki, but Zeki just kind of did what he needed to do, though. He got out of there with two sixth place finishes on the weekend, and that's not great. But he got them points, didn't he? But Zeki did. So uh, Luca Marini was seventh, Oliveira eighth, Jack Miller was ninth in the sprint race, and Vinales, who just got a horrendous start. They he lost ten places in the start. Tenth, uh, yeah. Zarco was nowhere this weekend. Like. We've seen him so good the first two rounds of the year. He was literally just kind of nowhere. Um, Alex Marquez had a really shitty weekend. Uh, he he obviously fell out of the sprint race Tell and then got it. then got cleaned out. You have him in fantasy. Um, yeah. He got cleaned out by Martin. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was watching that race, and when Martin did what he did, I could tell from the angle that Martin kind of came in into that left at under the bridge <laughs> yeah. that – he had got wide in turn two, like got extremely wide. But again, it gets blamed on cold tires. And it's like, no, everybody else made it through the corner except for one guy. It wasn't a cold tire. It was the angle of which he came into that that turn and didn't want to give up the spot to Marquez. And 
you know, he loses the front, takes out poor Alex Marquez at the same time, who I thought took it, took it on the chin like a champ. If you heard his interview afterwards, he's like, Hey, you know, we're out there, we're racing, we're on the edge. This stuff can happen. It can happen to me next week. And you know, I could, he could be the guy taking somebody out. So, but I think, I think the sprint race side of it, it seems like there it's mellowed a little bit, hasn't it? Like it, it, you didn't notice the aggression that you saw at Portugal still, or even Argentina. I think everybody's got it sorted. There were so many people that crashed in that first race that everybody went, Oh, I get it. There's so much to lose. (laughs) These half point raises. Why don't we just go ahead and calm down a smidge and let it play itself out a little bit more. And I think that that's what we're going to see. Let's get through these first few laps and not try to clean each other out. And because you're hundred percent right, you I mean, like you run the risk of getting hurt and all these riders that were bitching about, Oh my God, we got a 21 race season. And, this is what it's like. Yeah, but you guys got to still, you got to chill out and race. Did you see? Did you see the interview? There was a guy. What's his name? G Dub. You might know him. I, I I'd never heard of him, or maybe I had, but I I just can't remember his name now. But he walks around the paddock, and he was doing like just candid interviews, and he and he stopped Wayne. Did you see that where he did the interview they with didn't. Wayne? And he basically uh-huh. said to Wayne, he asked Wayne a couple because Wayne was in a conversation with a group of people. And this guy kind of said, oh, I see that legend over here. Let's see if we can get him real quick. And he was really good about kind of kind of butting in on the conversation. And and I took a photo because Chuck was in the background and <laughs> I sent it to Chuck. But but he asked Wayne, he said, what, what would you think if back in the day you were racing and they introduced sprint races? And Wayne just said, well, if that's what they wanted to do, I'd have been prepared for it and I would have – if that's what we had to do, I would have been ready for it. Basically, there was no, well, it's this idea or that idea. It was just very much like if that's what the organizer said that we had to do, I'd have been ready for it. I loved it. It was like mm-hmm. it was like a perfect answer because I thought it was a great question. Not like oh, to be honest, see how Wayne answers this, you know? Because some writers that's a very were- Wayne answer, isn't it? Because the Wayne's mentality is like I'm gonna I'm gonna outwork anybody. Yeah. So like- if this is what you're if this is what you're giving me. I'll be prepared for it. Correct. I love that. I, I thought yeah. it was great. I loved it too because, and these writers, they have to take some responsibility. They It, it can't just be, well, these guys have added an extra race now, so that's why everybody's crashing. Uh, yeah, no, that's not why everybody's crashing. You got to got to pull your head out and be smart and make good decisions. And, and and you know, World Superbike's been doing it for a long time. So, you know, for what, three years now, we've had the sprint races on Sunday morning. And and then the, the I mean, that's even more pressure. You have that sprint race Sunday morning, and you got another race coming up that afternoon. It's like you got to be, you got to be kind of smart, right? So, hey man, you're so old. You remember when Superbike, our Superbike, had one race and oh, yeah. one Supersport race a weekend, and one 750 Supersport race a weekend, and yeah, I all wish, that stuff. You I know? wish we'd have had two Spe- races a weekend. I loved it. So, yeah, speaking yeah. of one race, uh, let's talk about Moto Two let's because yeah. that was a that was a great race. Um, Pedro Acosta ended up winning that one by a tenth of a second over Tony Arbolino. And dude, Ben Boschneider ends up on the box Amazing. in third and really 5.8 seconds behind, but he beats Jeremy Alcoba, Philip Salach, Furman Aldeguer, uh, Lopez, and Aaron Kinnett. And all those guys were in a in basically seconds, a group. Two and a half seconds. Yeah, and I'm not going to say that Bo Ben Snyder got it handed to him because he didn't, but no. he put himself in the perfect position because he ended up in third, I think, what, the last the last sector of the racetrack yeah, exactly. is when he did it. Exactly right. Yeah. He was in sixth. He was in seventh. Sorry, Jay. With two laps to go, 
Bo Ben Snyder was in seventh, and then he ended up getting on the box. His first since what 2016 on a Moto Three bike or something. Good for him. Yeah. Well, and, and, oh yeah, dude. And the stuff that you said at the beginning of the podcast and all that—it's great. I mean, look, it's always fun when you see kind of new guys up there and 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 battling at the front and that kind of thing. And that was a big battle between those those five guys because we saw Aaron Kinnett up in the lead group early. Alonzo Lopez early was up in the lead group. Aldeguer was third at one point in this race. Salich, who's had a great start to his season, um, was up there. So yeah, Greg, when you look at it, that it, it's it's good to see a guy like you know you you probably wouldn't have picked Bo Ben Schneider out of the group of people that I just said. You probably wouldn't have picked him to finish third, but he managed to find his way back up to the front, and it does a lot for a young guys' confidence like that, showing that they can do it. But what before we get there, if if you want to look at racecraft, and we talked a lot of last year about what I felt with uh, Dominic Agurda's racecraft. You look at Acosta, the last sector of that race, his racecraft, Greg, was so good. He put that bike everywhere Arbolino wanted to go but couldn't and controlled his apex speeds so well to where Arbolino couldn't cut back underneath him on the exits. And it was it was really cool to watch. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I watched from the end of the back straightaway from the end of the back straightaway to the finish line, I watched it three times just because I was like, he put that bike in every single spot. And, it, and a lot of that is, is, is it's racecraft. It's watching how guys have done things it, in like kind of the history of, of Coda, seeing how those last few turns can play themselves out. Um, but Acosta won over Arbolino, who I think has proven to be, you know, everybody wants to hand Acosta the trophy. Arbolino is going to be there throughout the course of the year. He's not scared. And he fought tooth and nail um, with Acosta there and and really was trying to get that win. So uh, really good stuff. A uh, little bit further back, Greg, ninth was Vietti. Manuel Gonzalez was 10th. Chantra Arenas, Sam Lowe's was 13th. Dennis Fagia, 14th. And your boy Ayagura, who's obviously still, strugg- still struggling, isn't he, Greg? Um, he ends up yeah, he's hurt. getting the last point. Not really sure what happened to Joe. Joe was up there. He qualified pretty well. I think he had some sort of problem in the race I read. Um because he was up there at one point. He was like, you know, in that in that battle, um, for like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. He ended up 16th. Uh, SDK ended up 18th. Roy Skinner, his teammate, was 19th. So yeah, it's um it was some not good some notable non-finishers, Greg. Sergio Garcia, Marcos Ramirez, uh, Baltus didn't finish, De La Porta didn't finish. So Jake Dixon crashed on the warm-up lap. But Jay, this is this is kind of what I'm talking about yeah. with MotoGP. Yeah. The race before MotoGP, mm-hmm. you had 23 riders finish the race. Yeah. You had obviously Jake Dixon, he crashed on the warm-up lap. So you only had five riders that crashed out of that race. Yeah. And 23 finished. Yeah. Like that's why I'm thinking, yeah, you know, and they're on Dunlop tires and the Moto2 bike is not the most front-end friendly bike there is. So mm. Well, did you, you see that Dixon's crash was really odd, but it was the same place, I think, where Sam crashed. It was the same place where, I can't remember if it was Alonzo Lopez or somebody earlier in the weekend. You know, Greg, when you go through those S's, you got turn two, then you got the left and the right and the next left, then another right, then another left, <laughs> then another right, and then you got the fast left that goes up over the hill down to the left-hander. That left, on the inside curving, there's a bump there, and those guys are running over that inside curving on the left, and thinking they can just roll across it. But there's obviously a, a bump or something because they're at full lean angle running across the curbing and they're hitting yeah. that and it's tucking the front immediately. And yeah. it's what happened to Sam Lowe's. And I think it was, a, I thought it was Lopez maybe in the first day, Friday. And I think that's what happened to Dixon. Uh, 
um, which is a bummer. And Greg, did you know this? I did not know this. This is me not knowing, not being in the paddock. Do you know that Moto2 and Moto3 don't even have a warm-up on Sundays? Yeah, I knew. That's... Yeah, so they literally go from qualifying on having, Saturday, getting off the bike on Saturday to go warm up lap. That's lame, uh, d- dude. Everybody thinks it's lame. I don't even understand it. And then they do this whole. I saw the thing this weekend where they do the the bus ride with the riders in the back and a MotoGP mm-hmm. guy, and and that that's value with track time that Moto Two and Moto Three guys could have. Now, there's a few things about this that I really don't get. Okay. Uh, number one, you want your Moto2 and Moto3 races to be as good as your MotoGP. I don't even know who would make the decision to not allow them a warm-up in the morning. Because if you got a guy that wants to make a setup change, or you have a guy that maybe broke a motor, or broke a gearbox, or fell, you got to give these guys an opportunity to make sure their equipment's ready to go rolling around a racetrack. And I just think it sucks. Uh, that would have been a good question to ask Wayne. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't... You know? I mean, hey Wayne, would you have wanted to race Sunday if you didn't get a warm up? It it makes no sense, does it? I, I don't understand. Not I, to me, it does. Like, I don't even know how that decision gets made at this level. It's one thing. I mean, gosh, Greg, when when like I said, when they did world, when I did World Superbike, they were sending these super stock kids out at seven thirty in the morning. And I remember some mornings, you know, we we didn't start till eleven World Superbike. And it'd be, or 10, whatever it was. And I'd, I'd hear these bikes on track at 7.30 and it would be freezing cold out. That's what we did when when, when uh, Boxer Cup was was racing with MotoGP. That's what they would do. They'd put us on track at 7.30. Or even I did a, a Prelia Cup. A Prelia Cup uh, during the MotoGP weekend at Laguna. They'd put us on at like 7.30, 8, whatever. And then they would put us on at 5 o'clock at night. And we didn't and have the whole day. Didn't, and, and I mean, our world super, our, our super bike guys, when we were at Coda, were on track at like eight o'clock last year. I mean, yeah, but you at least give people the option. I'd much rather have that option, especially if I, if I had an issue with my bike or if I had crashed it the day before or whatever. The thing is, is that to not have any kind of warm up, any kind of practice session for both those classes is absurd to me. I don't even understand who's making these decisions. Like, are they, are uh, they, Dorna's, Dorna's making them, and I think that they have to bring it to the FIM, and the FIM approves it. It's a, it's a process, but yeah, but it's a shame. Yeah, uh, otherwise, you know, I just think, look, I think that that there's some bits and pieces of MotoGP right now that are Dorna in particular that might be in a little bit of panic mode because they are losing viewership hand over fist. Yeah, and it all kind of started during COVID. I think, you know, the 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 popularity of the Formula One show on Netflix has really kind of damaged MotoGP a little bit. But I also think the lack of a Valentino Rossi and a Mark Marquez is killing them. Yeah. It's killing them. I I, yeah. I do I believe, okay. You know, when you talk to old people that are GP fans, they love Kevin Schwantz and Wayne Rainey, and they love the fact that they didn't like each other, all that stuff. That that those rivalries are important. And right now you look across the paddock and it's like, oh, look at these bunch of people holding hands yeah. because they're part of the VR forty six academy and blah, 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 blah. You know, and I think if if um, it was different, if if you had some people start shout, you know, spouting off at each other and chest bumping or pushing and shoving, I think that it would create more interest. But oh, I agree. I, I wish they would. I wish. Yeah, it would. Yeah, I agree. That's what the dude. That's why wrestling's the deal, man. It's all scripted crap. I understand that, but is it? They constantly bring the drum. Oh, I'm sorry. God, did you ruin it for me? I'm not going to tell you then about Santa. I was just saying you're going to tell me there's no Santa or- too. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I don't know what kids are 
hate you. Kids are listening to this, you know. Yeah. Santa's Santa's alive you know? and well. Have you seen me? I just grow my beard out, and I'm. You Santa. do look like a Moto Three G Dub. Ortola wins the mm. race. Did you see his save? Oh yeah! Oh, oh. at the beginning of the race, oh. Dude, that was both wheels Did off. You... It high sided him so bad that both wheels were off the ground, and it's still. You know what I was really surprised oh. about? That he didn't get a penalty because he ran over the green paint. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, love it. Ortilla wins over Masia, who ended up second. Artigasa ends up third. Morera, Hogado, Dennis Anchu, uh, Salvador Alonso, Yamanaka, Rueda, uh, Kaito Toba ends up 11th. Um, Aji, I don't even know how to say 13th place's name. Colin from the Netherlands. It's V-E-I. Vire. Buyer, I guess buyer. that's what it is. Yeah, Ogden and Ro- Ricardo Rossi ends up. Uh, I only 15th, know that from archery. So, yeah, again, so, I mean, a few non finishers so, here. So too, here's the yeah. here's the question. The question is: Is Ortola, yeah, the ride of the race because of his save and win, which which is, or is it Jama Masia after Sasaki high sided and Masia had to run and lost what three seconds I think on yeah. that lap and came back to finish. I mean, I would say they're. I would say Ortola takes the number one spot, but Masia, his him, his comeback was incredible. Pretty good. Another great, yeah, another great race. And and again, Coda Coda gives us only one of two things: they either we either get great racing or we get what MotoGP was, which is just gap, a gap, yawner. gap, 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 a, a yawner. yawner. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it, I think we've had three different race winners now in that class. I think um, Holgado won the first one, and then mm-hmm. uh, Suzuki won the second. And Artolo wins the third. Those were Artolo's first points of the year, by the way. So he didn't score at Port at Portimao. His first, his first Grand Prix podium too. Yeah. So I mean, he jumps himself to six. So you got Halgado, Moreira, uh, or sorry, Moreira, Artigas, Masi, and Suzuki are your top five in that championship at the moment. So that is going to be a fun championship to watch because that class is just yeah, too much. And I didn't yeah, talk about I didn't talk about Moto two championship but i'm going to give you those just real quick in case anybody yeah. totally cares um <laughs> but i think it's a cost of leading it right yeah no, oh, no arbolino not. sorry arbolino that's right he's got to have oh, what two or three points on yeah. him or something he's got seven um okay seven he's got right. seven point lead over acosta and canet uh is third with salich and lopez top five lopez didn't score in portugal so um, he's got 29 points running around in fifth. So yeah, I look, all the championships are good. These guys go to Jerez next. I believe it's Jerez that they had two mm. next, right? Uh, I think it's yeah. Jerez. Yeah. Back yeah. to Europa. Yeah. 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 And by the way, we have MotoGP fantasy and King Fisher's leading the way at 464.75 points, nine points ahead of team Rhino and I don't even know how to pronounce that. Duck, Fjord, Gross. I don't know. Wow. I'm looking it up too now to see just who you can't pronounce. So, uh, Martin, Martin, will, Martin will be off my team by the next week. By next week, by the that, way. That's got to be French, right? Oh, Martin's going to be off your team? He's, he's done. I'm done with him. Can't do it anymore. No, is he dead to you? Dead to me. I well, love the guy. I, mean, and look, I love I had, the guy. But I had, look, I haven't, even been, I haven't even been razzed at all about, you know, I know you think Renz is my man crush, but... I'm just going to go on record and say that at the beginning of the year, I did say <laughs> that they should have hired Rins at Repsol instead of Mir. You've been saying it a long time. And listen, I have saying to it a say, long time. all right, I have to say, you know, it, it cannot be understated that Rins goes from what is arguably the second best bike on the grid, in my opinion, the Suzuki at mm-hmm. the, you know, last year, he wins the last race 
And in three races, he gets on one of the worst two bikes in the paddock and wins. I mean, I got to concede, dude, tip of the cap to you and your opinion. And I hope that you and Rins have a nice long life together and raise puppy dogs. Me too. I would love that because I think the guy's a stud. I love him. And, you know, not only is he a stud. Yeah, he's the nicest guy. He's the like he's, he's real. The best. So when Sam was here, you know, when when Sam was here for that week, we we um Sam Lowe's you're talking Lowe's, about. I asked him about all these guys. I'm like, who's like Hey, look down at your feet. Are they bloody I right knew, now? I was dropping names on them. I knew it was coming. Mm. I I knew it was coming. But he said, I asked him about Renz. He's like, Jay, he's the best guy. And he said Mira's the best guy too. He's like, they're just two of the, the best dudes in the paddock. So kind of root for those guys, you know? So whatever, man, I picked my side. So how about, how about what? So who'd you say was the hard one to announce? Duck Fugras, Foygras in third? Yeah. Yeah. His team's only worth 13.5. He's got a mil and a half to spend still, and he's third in the points. Dude, this thing is so messed up again. You know, I you stink. all Grand Prix and yeah, you stink. I'm right now, I'm 98th overall. That's good, that. dude. That's good. Well, yeah, I went up a little bit because I, I ended up in Portugal. Let's see. No, wait. I and... moved up, G-Dub, to 316. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Big move. Well, I'm see, the thing mover. is, dude, I had Marini. I had Marini gold, and I had Peko gold, and Peko disappointed. Got sprint race points, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had Vinales in silver, and, and he did okay, you know, with his second result. Got me. He would have gotten me 27 points, which is more than Peko if he was a gold rider. Uh, and then Alex Marquez. So Grassini got me okay points. Ducati's good, you know, on that front. Twenties, but it, it's just you know it's kind of that up and down situation where had I, you know, Marini would have finished third and Pecco first, I would have done much better, much better. But yeah, that's okay. Red Spade, that's Anna, I think, in sixth, she's killing it. And you got and my, you know Troy Simmons, he's ninth. Mm. So I got a couple couple people I know up there battling in that top ten. So. But well, King King yeah. Fisher won the was leading the way for uh, for the American GP. Yeah, I had scored one hundred twenty eight point. No wait, I scored one hundred seventeen points. And wait a second, I closed I up know, on this... you. I got one hundred twenty three for that last for the last one. But I, I'm, I got, if you look at my average though, it's not it's not stunning at all. I got ninety six average. King Fisher's got one hundred fifty four. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, hey, I'm all I can, 28 average. All I can do is go forward and I'm, I'm Martin's gone. He's, he's, he's <laughs> gone. Bite, I, I love Martin too. Tongue. I yeah. love Martin, but he's gone out. He's done. So yeah, but wait, so Kingfisher team Rhino. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that, by the way, uh, you know, at the end of the year, of course, you're going to win an Arai helmet and a set of Dunlop Q5. Second place gets a set of Dunlop Q5s. Third place gets a set of Dunlop Q5Ss. And we're still up in the air on what we're going to do with JP. No, we're going to, we're going to give a, we're going to give a one-on-one away. We're going to do it. Everybody. I just, no, no, we're giving it a, but we haven't decided what position how. gets it. Yeah. We got to figure out what we're going to do there. I think the leading candidate is whoever finishes 43rd in the championship. Do you? I kind of like that. JP 43 training 43rd in the, you know, what's funny is you can't really look it up because when you put load more, it does this crazy, like, no, I know the people over there. So I'm going to ask like, what's going on with the, with the sort because as soon as i hit load more it gave me 658 in 102 yeah same as me it Cal rusty carl rusty ken in 118 and then ama someday i got the same 20th. thing on my screen i so it's it's not just like a random thing i'm getting the same thing as you are yeah so i'm not sure i 
I don't know why it does it that way. I don't I don't know what's happening there either. Because it would be nice to see who's you know, kind of who's in there. An actual position and the thingies. Anyway, so that's that. Uh, it's Greg's Garage Pod with or W slash Jason Pridmore. So if you go Greg's is Greg apostrophe S. If you search for the league and you want to join our league at any time, we certainly would love to have you. Yeah. We're at 363 players. It's pretty good. Yeah, not too yeah, bad. So, good. yeah. All right. Um, All right. Let's, we want to talk su- about, oh, do Supercross. Super yeah, just do it real yeah. quick. All right. So, in Supercross, uh, they were at Atlanta, Atlanta Motor Speedway day race. And unfortunately for me, I was like in Arizona competing archery and was on an airplane and missed it. So, I didn't get anything in fantasy. But, and I haven't seen it, but Chase Sexton, Jay, seven seconds. He Gone. finally d- gets it done. Gone. And he didn't make a mistake nope. over Justin Barsha. Dude, what can you say about Barsha? Riding great. Just, I mean, riding, riding great. Great. Yeah, Normally but, we see him start the year strong and fade at the end, and now it's reversed, and he signed an extension. You know, it's but not only did he sign an extension, but he kind of came out and said, "Listen, I'm going to try to just, I'm going to try to clean things up." And all of a sudden, he gets results. Yeah, like he's cleaning things up. You don't need to bash people. Like it, when you have a when you have a nickname like Bam Bam, because people know mm-hmm. that you're running into everybody and cleaning people out. Look, it. When you run into people, you have the risk of crashing yourself. That's the that's the way it is. And yeah. you, you're you not going to make up points while you're picking your bike up off the dirt. And full credit to the guy. He's super, super fit. He's motivated, obviously. He's capable. You could see this guy go on a run. He could be another one of those guys because he has been fast at all these tracks, too. He's, an, he's another yeah. guy, though, G-Dub. I agree with you that could potentially... His his best days might still be ahead of him if he if he pulls it together and, and gets going. I mean, it really it's incredible to think about. It's By the true, way, how though. did your boy Adam Cincerillo finish seventh place after the crash he had earlier oh, in the weekend? Like that was ooh, a big one. That was a big one. That chin bar hit his head oh. so hard. Ugh, I, I thought his tongue was gone. You know, but they a lot of those guys ride with mouthpieces, so maybe that like a mouth guard like you would use in football, maybe that helped him. It's bad crazy. though, wasn't it? Yeah, but Tomac finishes twenty seconds back. Hello, where'd Tomac go? Dude, it's just another one of those, yeah, bizarre those Tomac weekends. Tomac, thing. but he still leads the championship. Jay's at two ninety two over Cooper Webb, who's at two eighty six. Chase Sexton at two seventy five. Cooper, uh, in in the race results wise, he ended up finishing in fourth on the. What did we do? The two fifty East Championship. It was Hunter Lawrence over Jordan Smith and Hayden Deegan. And Hunter Lawrence leads Deegan 177 to 132. Deegan's riding great, man. Like he's doing really well. Right. So, I so. want to know what I want to know what what happened to Jason Anderson in this race. Have you seen or read anything? Mm-mm. Nope. Like he just why did he just he was up faded? there, up there, up there, and then just like quit. Oh, I don't even think he finished. Like it's just mm-hmm. weird. Like he was. Yeah, I'm. Hold on, I'm just. I want to make sure I'm not. On I'm like track. trying to find him in the results here. Yeah, he's he's like 21st. Yeah, and he was up there, and then started going backwards. I, I want to think it was a bike problem, but I I haven't even been able to read anything. And I'm sure there's stuff up there. And I'm sure if we listened to Pulp MX this last week, they would have told us. But I didn't listen to that. I, it's getting into that podcast season for me, where when I'm on planes all the time, I listen to all this stuff. Oh yeah, <clears throat> gotcha. You know? By the way, we have Pulp MX Fantasy. I missed it. But DV934 leads the way in this championship. 3,182 over Super Dave 22 at 
3,135. So that's a pretty decent lead right now. Hucklebuck mm-hmm. Racing in third. Those three are in contention at the moment, although we still have a few races to go. How many races do we have left in this championship, Jason? We have three in the east, and I already chumped the points. So I don't know. Probably, what, six? Six or seven races left to go this season. But uh, same thing. Awry Helmet, Dunlop Q5s, Dunlop Q5s for second place, Dunlop Q5Ss for third place, battling it out. I, I don't hear I don't hear you yakking about how incredible you were last weekend. Uh, I moved up. It was a tough weekend though. If you look at all the scores from last weekend, it was a tough week. It was a tough one. I, I had I had non finishers. I, I think I had my lowest points of the season, but I'm, I'm up to thirtieth. I'm up to thirtieth with a missed round. Okay. So I'm that's, not I'm not incredible. unhappy with that. And if you look at uh, let's see, my average is. 238.9. So essentially 239 points is my average. And when you look at the top four, that would put me fourth if I would have. I'm, I'm happy with how I did. I'm all, I'm all right with it. I screwed up one week. I did. I screwed up one week. Uncle Skip's League, though. I'm leading the RM Fantasy in Uncle Skip's League. You're not doing bad in that one either, by the way, I saw. Yeah, not too, too bad. Last week, I didn't pick that either. And I definitely wouldn't have picked Tomac to win the race, but I think I had him. So I, I don't think Sexton I scored all that high last week. week. So. Might still P7 maybe in that league. I know you're, I, I saw you. I was like, well, he's not doing so bad. So that's good. Mm. Uh, but yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyways, that's pretty much it for this podcast. Hour, 30 minutes. Thanks for listening to the whole thing. Next week, we're going to talk about the stuff we're going to talk about, which is. Moto America, Road Atlanta. We're going to talk about all that stuff. We're going to talk about World Superbike and see how those races unfolded. And then we're going to talk about uh, Supercross if they're racing again and whatever else comes up in the news and all that kind of stuff. So this is the opportunity, the time of the weekend where I think I chopped you off two weeks ago when we did our last podcast. It's not very nice. You said something very insulting to me. But now you can say goodbye to people. All right, G-Dub. Hey, everybody, if you're not going to be in Atlanta, make sure you tune in. We talked about all the different platforms Moto America has. World Superbike is going to be amazing. We are full stop now from here to September, Greg, November, I guess, if you're looking at MotoGP, into the racing scene. So everybody enjoy your weekend. Be safe if you're out there riding or doing track days. And we will talk to you next week later, everyone.